Now she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa. She's ready to go to the stars. This is the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. It's mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of creating the most amazing thing and finding out it doesn't come with a warranty. Oh, I had to return this thing. My, my magic wand of, of excellent growth doesn't make things grow like I want them to. <laughs> it just gets bigger. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Hey, hey. <laughs> Welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast. Uh, this week we are uh, hopefully finishing up um, the bulk of our uh, creating the perfect magic system. Uh, we are now on uh, uh, number 12, item number 12. And uh, there may be a few little things that we've uncovered during our examination so far that we want to tack on afterwards as an epilogue. But for now, we are doing magic items what are they what are they for and how do we how should they be created so the first question is should the pcs be able to enchant magic items trap oh yes because it um in my campaign in which josie is in basically well all of them which um, one yeah exactly uh i have no problem with the players artificing because it gives them a chance to shape their own destiny as opposed to, well, we go to the store and buy it because when they are able to craft their own stuff, once they gain enough uh, power knowledge, i.e. for OGL feats and spells, they can start directing the game more because oh look we have this dragon we have to slay we know he's been affecting this town okay i just got done with the dragon slaying sword where's the dragon they get to forge their own path more so i have no problem with player characters with artificer knowledge and as i said josie in several of the campaigns over the past couple years the artificing job seems to have dropped in her lap mostly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so does that mean, Josie, that you're in favor of PCs being being able to artifice? I would say I'm more little more than a little biased on the subject considering I like it so much. Yeah, that's why I asked you. Yep. <laughs> so, do do you want to offer any other reasons why you think it's great to be able to do that? Uh, Josie, I would I can suggest one thing. Mm. Bra bragging rights. 
Oh, yeah. Your character gets to make the sword that killed the dragon. You, mm -hmm. Your character gets to walk around and go, yes, that was me. Yes, thank you. <laughs> no applause, just throw money. Yeah. <laughs> Please throw money. Never mind the person who actually swung the sword. I made it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> As to that, the person who actually swung the sword, they threw money at me to make it. That, there you go. Exactly. You get you get paid to make magic items. Right. And that's one of the things I wanted to bring up, which was that it is probably one of the best ways for a PC to enrich themselves. I mean, most magic items are expensive. Oh, yes. Very expensive. Oh, Josie and I have done plenty oh, of magic today. And so if you're the person who's making them rather than paying to have them made, then... It's a very good way for you to really sock it away. There's a good question of how easy it is to make magic items. Let's not go there yet. Let's go there. We're still talk. We're still talking about whether they should be able to do it or not. I would say, yeah. Myself personally, I would say, yeah. Uh, player characters should be able to make mag magic items. Now, now, when I when I say make, I mean them personally do it. Yes, yes. Or some member of the party. Okay, I'm not saying whether or not they should be able to be created in the game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. I mean, basically, if the if if you set up something that the players need to make, you know, need to make, and I, and I would let players get creative. You know, you know, I'm one of the folks that say, okay, you know, if I give you only one way to kill this thing, you need to get, you need to make this kind of sword. When the players say, well, what, what, is, what, what are his abilities again? Oh, he does this and this. Well, why can't we make this kind of weapon and put this kind of channel on it? And I, could look, I would go, yeah, that would work too. And, you know, and, and you know, this matter of getting the necessary items and, you know, forging them in the, in the prescribed way. But we're still talking about whether they should enchant them or not. Yes. I mean, whether they should be able to make them. Yeah, yes. Okay. All right, so, all right, I'm going to go and since nobody's doing it, I'm going to play the the uh, the advocate, you know, the 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 opposing view. The devil's advocate. Well, yeah. you know, it all depends More on like your game, devil. right? Okay, so I'm going to say no, it's a bad idea, and this is why. First of all, okay, is is that it puts an awful lot of extra work on the GM because he's going to have to deal with making sure that the whatever they need to make the item is made is available somehow for them to do it okay it also means that he has to make sure that they are able to earn enough money to buy those components if, if they can't just find them so it's a lot more complication for him when he could instead just say hey you know you see that mage over there in the big red tower I'll bet you that if you did a quest for him, he might be able to give you what you need. And so you go over there and you spend your time going and being adventurers instead of being, I don't know, you know, constructors. <laughs> it's, you know, what are you playing the game for? Are you playing the game for the ability to make items or are you playing the ability to use items? So in that sense, maybe it's not such a good idea. Okay, uh, I I see your point in that, that yes, it is more work for the GM. Because trust me, I got to sit there when I'm there with my games with Josie. I got to sit there and we're looking up rules and I got to figure out, okay, how many days is it going to, you know, how many, well, in Pathfinder, it's eight-hour shifts. How many eight-hour shifts over many days are you going to need to do this? And do you have the feats? And it is a little more book work. 
It's mm-hmm. a little more computation. And I will agree with you on the fact that, yeah, the characters are not adventuring. So I will give you that point, Bruce. Okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, no, no, I, I see the logic in your argument. Right. So, that, and that's only one reason, okay? There's a bunch oh. of other reasons. <laughs> Secondly, is, is that by giving these items to the players, okay, as a result of quests, you get to drive the campaign to, you know, in the, in the story that you're trying to do. Okay, so the GM can use these things not only as carrots, but also to say, hey, so-and-so has these items, you know, this item, and he's going to destroy the world, so you need to go and take these items and go over there and stop him. And so you, the GM gets to tell the stories that the GM wants to tell without, you know, worrying about what the player characters are doing as far as, you know, spending their time doing other things or uh, ama- you know, amassing certain powers that don't fit what he's what the GM is trying to do as far as the s- drama, the story of, of, of the of the campaign. Okay. That that and I'm not, I'm not Yeah, see Josie, I think I think Josie is trying to we're we're sympathetic on this. When you said the GM driving the story and huh? that You lost me. A skosh of railroading there. Yeah, it's a big plot hammer. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> questioning it a bit. See that? That yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's always a little bit of that. Yeah. Okay. That is third a line. What was that, Josie? There, there is a little bit of that, but when you're going into what you were saying, is take it a bit too far. As far as it, it has much more potential of being taken a bit too far into the railroading thing. Yeah. Well, then there's the other thing where the player, if you make it too easy for the player characters to make magic items, they decide, hey, I don't need to go on adventures to make money. I just self shop and start making things, making magic items and sell them. Yeah, that was pretty much the first point. Yes. Okay, but see, here's a, here's a few other things. Okay, is if you want to keep your mag, your 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 uh, campaign a low magic campaign, and all of a sudden your player characters get the ability to start making you know magic swords and robes of flying and everything else by the score, well, you just you just your, your campaign is just changed into a different kind of campaign. Well, yeah, in that okay, in that if you are doing a low magic type campaign then yeah, keeping artificing out of the hands of the player characters is essential, or you will automatically change the tone of the campaign. So yeah, there, again, give you the point. Yeah, and in that case, I would it would be more along the line of if there are magical items, but they are all either made by the ancients, you know, or they're made by the gods, you know, or, or which are sometimes one and the same. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm not saying that there are not solutions to these things. I'm just saying these are the things that should be di- we should be discussing when we're talking about whether or not these things should be create you know be created at all. And actually, uh, one point I'll bring up, and that's something that Trav pointed out, it is sometimes the game doesn't really want you to let the players make magic items. So to make so that to make magic items, you really have to jump through hoops as both the GM and the player, and it's. A lot of book work, and it's a lot of... Yeah, I'll give you an example of a, a 
well, a meta campaign that doesn't really allow for magic item design. Uh, the Palladium Megaverse. When you're playing the fantasy mm-hmm. game, you go to the alchemists to get magic items. There were, for the longest time, no rules on magic item creation until Rips came along and did the Techno Wizard, which now you can make these Techno Wizard jewel-encrusted, spell-infused items, and in my Palladium campaign I'm running, one of my players has become a Techno Wizard, so now I'm having to learn these Techno Wizard construction rules for it, but for the longest time, Palladium never had... They made it to where you were not an artificer. You you went to the SME and bought the magic items or you found them as loot. So it just depends on the type of campaign you want to run. I mean, Palladium Fantasy game is a high-level... It's a high-level magic uh, setting, but just the art of making magic items in the setting of the fantasy game was lost back in the age of legends. And so if you found a magic sword, that magic sword was often millennia old. The best you could do is Dwarven or Cobalt made what in Pathfinder would be quote unquote masterwork weaponry. I think a bit like the original D and D rules, there weren't any rules there for making magic items. You basically, you found them. Yeah. You were allowed to make certain things at certain levels, but it didn't tell you how to do it. So the GM basically had to say, well, it costs as much as if you bought it brand new, so you pony up the money if you want to do it. Or they, they would come up with some, well, you, it costs you 80% of what it, you know, they had to come up with some number. It wasn't actually in the books anywhere. And I don't think Gygax ever wanted people to do that. I think he wanted it to be in the province of the GM and he would hand them out as a result of correctly fulfilling a quest. Then other systems, um, creating, creating new items. They have certain rules like, uh, savage worlds, uh, various of the special supernatural, um, uh, advantages you can get, uh, you know, weird science technically is techno magic when it comes right down to it. You can cre- you can cre- you can create items, but technically they only work for you, you know. But they're a special item. Well, that's all they need to do. Yeah, yeah. Who else do they need to work for? I mean, unless you're trying to make money. No, I mean literally, they only work for you. If you hand it to someone else, they can't use it. <laughs> you know, it's it's like one of those. Uh, I forgot it was a superhero like that where who who a super super genius where all his work, things he made work great for him, but if he gave it to someone else, they wouldn't work. Well, because. They was using his powers to use it to make him work. Right. Yeah, they kind of had a power like that in the old TNMT Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, where if you kept, you were the one who had this gift, and you kept fixing the machine, and as long as you were within, like, 10 feet of it, it ran perfectly. As soon as you walk away, the power, and it starts sputtering and all this, and, of course, then you're blamed as, well, you must not have fixed it right, because as soon as you leave, it goes away. And a lot of times this ability, you didn't know that it was like that subconscious, you were helping the machine go. So, yeah, I get where John's going with that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and there really isn't any rules for magic, making magic items, though it's sort of, you would, and I would imagine you end up doing it the same way you did. You do it for weird science, making items, uh, magic items. Right. But that's essentially what we're going to be, that's what we're talking about now is, is, is whether they should or not. Now, to, to change my position because you know I, I that's those were the the main reasons I thought about why you wouldn't want to give them 
you know, uh, let PCs do it. Um, one of the biggest, you know, uh, one of the problems that happens in a lot of games is because of the way the magic system is set up in it, is there's a disparity of power between the various players, the characters, you know, because magic tends to really overpower a character. All right, and because of that, allowing other characters to have easy access to magic is a big leveler. Well, yeah, if you have a wizard that can throw a fireball, let's say that you're trying to really just and Josie will get the joke. Nuke it from orbit. <laughs> yes, yeah, I can't wait to do that. Yep. Now, if you have a thief that has, or excuse me, the proper term, rogue, that has used magic device and you give him a wand to fireball, you just doubled your nuking potential. So it is good to have magic items that allow everybody to be heavy hitters because yeah a wizard if he's firing the spells as long as he's as either the spell slots or spell points depending on what system you use yeah he's just there frying whatever is there meanwhile you've got oh look i can shoot a bow for 1d8 damage oh look 1d8 meanwhile 66 66 no so that's why necklace of fireballs is often a very good thing to have because whoever's wearing that, they're almost as effective as the wizard. Right. But let, let's say you, let's say there was a ring, okay, that basically did the equivalent of mirror image, except those mirror images just weren't illusions. Maybe they were actually functional. Um, it was more along the lines of of some of the shadow. Uh, monsters, where you actually they were like 80% of your fighting ability. So you just multiplied yourself into like 6 or 8, and now you all go in and attack that group, and you can do as much damage as a wizard with a fireball because of that. So, yeah, yeah so a, a single person, therefore, who's not a mage, using magic can, therefore, you know, multiply their abilities, their effects. Sure. I, it's it's very much game rule dependent in, in Savage Worlds. Um, it really does make a difference because I can, I, I, I've had characters who use the bow and, and because the Savage Worlds uses the exploding dice routine, you can do as much damage as a guy with a cannon sometimes with just a bow. Oh, if you just, if you roll high enough, it's like a maximum crit type thing. Yeah. Okay. You know, the, the dice explode. That is, if I roll the max, the max number, I roll a six and a d six. I get to roll it again, and if I roll yeah. a six again, I can roll it again. And if you get, I, I yeah, actually I had like some, I had somebody shoot somebody with a 22, 22 caliber pistol, and did thirty two points of damage to them on a d and two d six. Oh no, it's kind of like the old DC, yeah, um, DC Heroes Mayfair game where if you rolled doubles, you kept rolling until you stopped rolling doubles. Yeah, I get, and you could get like massive amounts of effect you could technically have batman lift a train i mean you know and i've had people who do magic and throw a magic spell and they do oh i did two points of damage does he even get past his toughness nope <laughs> right but but john it, what you're just saying doesn't make any difference because it's the same system used across the board that same mage instead of doing 66 could do the equivalent of 100 d6 using the same concept so as long as it's applied evenly the system doesn't make that change what we're talking about here is we're using a magical effect that the that a non mage person can operate allows them to operate in the same level of 
of, of effectiveness as the mage character. In in my Bureau 13 Black Powder campaign, in which Josie plays Samantha Poole, the Bureau's first witch, she is the artificer in that campaign. Uh, let's see, Josie, you've made scrolls for the Bureau office, so they have them, as well as you're starting to make magic items for the rest of the team? Yep. So... Samantha Poole is now leveling the playing field for people like, let's see, we've got a former madam who's like a, a information broker. We have a gambler who deal is also a tankerer. So we have all these guys. I mean, they're using it. It's the old pre-magic mindset of the Bureau. God, guts and guns and the occasional bane. And now here's Samantha Poole, this witch from New England, all of a sudden making scrolls and hopefully other things down the line where we can now fight the supernatural in that campaign more on their terms because we have that artificer allowing everybody to use magical effects. So I think the, I think the general consensus is on this question, yes, they should be able to do it. I don't, I don't necessarily say that we have answered that question because, I mean, like I said, the options are either somebody else makes the magic items and the players get access to them, or the player, the characters themselves get to make magic items themselves, you know, and there, and, and the, and there are big advantages to them making their own magic items because they could therefore, assuming that the magic system that you're talking about is robust enough, they can make them very personalized. They can, you know, so that you don't have end up with a magic, a plus one sword is a plus one sword is a plus one sword is a plus one sword, or a wand of fireballs is a wand of fireballs is a wand of fireballs is a wand of fireballs, oh, wow. which we are so yeah. common inside of D and D and other type games. You know, you can make singular items that you know, or at least you know, with a with a flare, a, a special you know flare to them that you probably wouldn't get out of something that was you know, mass marketed for you or created without you in mind. Because most of the time when you're questing after items, they're already in existence. They, they've already yeah. been made. And they may have a history. They may be like, you know, there might be some legends associated with like, who was doesn't want to wield Excalibur? Okay, but it doesn't, but a lot of times it's like, it just doesn't resonate with the player character that much. So it's like, you know, the, the, the invulnerable code of Arn. You know, I'm sure that the guy who came up with that in Gygax's original game, you know, that was like the that was the most super amazing, you know, empowering thing that he ever had. Everybody else after that says, "Yeah, great armor class." No, there you know, there are some unique magic items. I mean, I was in a uh, Richard's D and D game, and one of the players had gotten himself the wand of one pound of rice cooked. <laughs> I know that one. Yeah, <laughs> and no, but you didn't know how because it, it came out one end of the wand. So we were busy interrogating some Starfleet officers. Don't ask. And uh, he, he said, "Talk." I don't want to. <laughs> he said, "Talk," and he said, "I won't talk." So he took the wand of one pound of rice cooked, shoved it down his throat, and made one pound of rice cooked in his throat. Okay, how can I say this as PC as possible? Ew. <laughs> Move, dude. <laughs> of course, the next Starfleet officer talked. You know, <laughs> sang like a damn canary. Part of me just, part of me doesn't want to. 
You're not part of me that's currently staring at the There's no honor in that. You. <laughs> you know, one of the things that bugged me the most about Starfleet, and I am going to get off this tangent right now, you know, is that the uh, Klingons were the most un, you know, honorable, honorable fighters I ever saw. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to number two, which is yeah. can an item be created for them like a wander staff that is linked to them? Or do they have to do that, do it themselves? So the question, the, uh, let me restate that question because I don't like how it's reading. And that is, is it, can um, can they make an item that only they can use? Hmm. Uh, uh, I think there's a, a lovely term for it. It's called soul bound. Is it a soul bound item? That is, it's bound to them. And if anyone else tries to use it, they get hurt by it. Or it just doesn't work. Or it doesn't work, yeah. It depends on the item. Well, do I've we, also heard of options like, Oh well, if you can use it, someone of your genetic line can use it. So brother, descendant, ancestor could use it. There's that option too. I mean, or you might include some kind of a ritual to allow it to be passed on to somebody, but it would be very difficult. Is the idea, you know? Yeah. First of all, the original person would have to be dead. You could always have the whole thing. Um somebody tries to take it and it simply returns to you. Oh yeah. It has a homing. The amazing teleporting, uh, um, uh, a cursed, um, uh, berserking sword. Yes. I love that. Yeah. So as, as a berserker, it was the best sword I ever had. <laughs> <laughs> or the, uh, cat that always comes back. Do you like that idea or, or do you, because if you do that, that means that, you know, that, that whenever you, if you do make a magic item for somebody, that means they have to be there. They have to be there probably for a large part of this, or there has to be some kind of like, oh, we're going to take like a gallon of your blood so we can, you know, uh, douse the item in it or something so that you can set up this resonance with them, you know, so that this item will work for them. Yeah, it, it sounds very Sorinish and the one ringish. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I never would have gone there, but okay. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, one reason why there is it's tied to the ma- to the person who made it is because he's put a bit of himself into it. A lot of it, from what I hear. Yeah, yeah, but enough that I mean, didn't he kind of explode when they destroyed the ring? Yeah. Well, oh, I yeah. Think that's all, I think that's more than a little bit in that ring of Sauron. Yeah. <laughs> But do you guys like that idea that I magic? Because see, if it because one of the big advantages, of course, of this is the fact is that nobody can steal your magic items. The only reason they would steal them would be to take them away from you, not yeah. so they could get their hands on them, not so I, they could. You know. I can definitely see the uses in it, as long as it's a thing that it can be done, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah, I'm thinking it could be a reason why certain items are much more powerful than others. You know, they, they basically, if you want something that's more powerful, yeah, you got to put yourself into your work, literally, to make it more powerful. It has to have a living essence in it, and it's now yours. And you best not lose it or have someone destroy it, because you'll lose a bit of yourself in the process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we're not talking horcruxes, though. That's no, fine. let's not. Let's what? not, because that's not what we're talking about. Okay, Joe, we're talking about specific quick. magic items. Okay, real oh, quick. See what you get now. It's the whole bit of themselves thing. That aspect. Okay. 
Well, yeah, because we're, we're saying we want these items. I mean, we're saying, do we want these items to be that way? Do we want them to be something that you can't go and reach into your backpack and say, hey, kid, you're not doing so well in this fight. Here, try this plus three short sword, which is what somebody did for me when I was in, you know, third level in the demon, uh, the demon web pit. <laughs> what? <laughs> I would have to wonder if you were playing a certain game with uh, online stuff, if that's happening. They said, everybody bring your highest level character. We're going into the Demon Web Pits. Third level was my highest level character. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. You know, I tried doing that when I was trying to level a, 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 another thing. and Just, Yeah. Yeah, didn't didn't do so well. Yeah, <laughs> so, lots of lots of potions for healing on you. Actually, it was a combination of a ring of regeneration and putting me into the apparatus of Qualish for most of the adventure. That gave me through it. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. And suddenly, I had three hundred more hit points than I had before. Night. One guy was found himself. Uh, he decided to put all his potions of healing on his person under under his cloak. That way, if he gets hit by something, he gets cut, but he also gets potions of healing into the wound as well. You know, it, the GM said, "Good idea, good idea." Doesn't work, but good idea. <laughs> right. So do we? So do we like this idea, or do we want these things to be uh, available for everyone, or do we want a mix? Do you want to put put user chips into the magic items? And don't go for a mix just because it's the easy answer. Well, it, as I said, making items universal allows for that. Hey, look! Now the fighter, the thief, and the the fighter and the thief now can sit there and you know shoot fireball effects along with the wizard. But if it's story dependent, where it's a low magic setting. And, oh, you have found the sword which your ancestor used, and you can fight the dragon because you're of his bloodline. It would be, it would have to be story dependent. Yeah. But usually, usually I go for make magic items universal. If you want the variation of, well, in the hands of this bloodline, it goes from a plus one to a plus three demon bane sword. Okay, fine. Well, the, I guess using that the, variation there again, story based. Yeah, but if you if you do um, say that all these magic items, and we're talking magic items here, not just really good suits of armor or or uh, master class sword or whatever you want to say, and we're talking about magic items. If you do do this, then you get it. Also allows you the option of letting the magic item level with you. As you become more powerful, more puissant, so does the item. So the plus one sword ends up a plus six, plus seven sword once you reach 20th level because you are basically, it's, it's reflecting itself upon your own personal power. Oh, God, there was something in 3.5, one of the splat books about weapons of legacy, which they gained power as you did. I didn't use that rule a lot, so I didn't read up on it, but it was just something out of, you know, read it out of the corner of my eye type thing. And that's I'm pretty sure there was an article in Dragon Magazine that did it, too. Yeah, yeah. But but in a way, I kind of look at putting yourself, you know, this bit of making an item that only one person can use, you're falling into what I would call artifact area rather than 
See, to me, it's, you know, having an item that only one person can use either is a specialized enchantment you can put onto it and say, okay, uh, Joe, come over here. Hamna, 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 grab the sword. Okay, it's your sword now. <laughs> That's more the binding ritual more yeah, than Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I don't see your point, John. Can you elucidate a little better? What I'm saying is that, you know, when I look at the idea of making an item that's made for a person, it's usually because it's ref- it's 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 reflecting their special abilities and so forth, and it's an enhancer of their special abilities. Only, only they can use it because it's made for them. But they still can also make that plus one sword. You know, that's basically just it's a little bit sharper. Doesn't it lasts a little bit longer? And you know, and, and it's it's a little bit better. What's the advantage, John? If you're the artificer, okay, if you make a sword that only one person can use, that means the next time someone needs a magic sword, they've got to come to you to make a new sword. They can't just say, well, you know, I would I would go and buy this sword from you and have you make this sword, oh, great mage. But, you know, there, they, there's this whole, there's like a dozen of them on the used swords, you know, <laughs> forum, you know, uh, in the big city downtown. I'm going to go down there and get in the auction instead of buying this from you and he's like damn if, I, if i'd only have made this sword so only you could use it then that would mean that it would be off the market for anybody else so counterpoint so you run against a bunch of orcs at least three of them have magic swords guess what they they're they're, they're the kind that they're linked to them so you pick up the sword it's a sword yeah there's something there, and, 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 and there's nothing wrong with that and now they're banging on my door, the artificer saying, hey, can you link this to me? <laughs> it was a really good sword. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's part of the game. That's part of what you would might say that you want to do. Now, you could also say that, you know, okay, we have, first of all, you pre- present a very silly thing, you know, three, three goblins or three orcs with magic swords. I'd be like, where are they getting all these magic swords from? But um, but let's say it's even true. Okay, well. They're, they're, they're guarding a chest with magic items. Guess what? I have my I have my critters use the magic items they're, ga- they're guarding. <laughs> yeah, but the point is, is that they've got three magic swords. They belong to them or to their kin. Okay, now you've got their showing up demanding their sort you know, their their legacy item back okay this could drive an awful lot of drama and adventures inside the game I mean maybe you know you could get a whole orc um, army up against you eventually if they could if, if you have a charismatic orc that's able to say hey the humans have stolen you know our legacy items our heritage we must get it back and all of a sudden these three orcs that's it didn't seem like that much of a deal because you you got their weapons even though they can't help you <laughs> can't use you suddenly you know and then you could turn around and say hey you know what are you know these are so valuable to you what are you willing to do to for us to to get this back and then they're like well if you give them back then we'll tell you where there's a treasure hoard you know and that's too tough for us to go after, but hey, you know, we're, if you die, then we basically get our revenge, and uh, and we get our swords back. You know, so I'm just saying, it's there's you can it, what you're saying doesn't seem to be a, a problem. It's just how the GM decides to follow it. Yeah, I mean, it, but yeah, but I've you know I've played enough different enough different players that some players would look at that and say, well, that's a jip. I should be able to use that magic weapon. You know, it's a jip, you know. Yep, and you certainly can. It's a sword. It's still a sword. <laughs> I, 
unless it's so magical, unless it's so magical that it blunts itself every time you try to use it. For some folks, the idea that magic items are tied to one person or to one bloodline, they, they look at it and go, "Oh, so the rich, the rich get richer again." Because mm-hmm. people who got money can get the best can get the best the best magic items, and the rest of us can suck with the uh, with the iron swords. Yep, yep. That's that's. A, I think that's a legitimate argument. Yeah. All right. So, anybody else have some more thoughts on whether or not a magic item should be attuned uh, to a person so only one person at a time can use it? I think we pretty much got this one down. That all right. So let's let's let me let's, let's summarize that because I'm not at this point. I don't remember what everyone said. Travis, you for or against it? Uh, I would prefer them to be universal because it helps out parties. Okay. How about you, Josie? Josie, just think about the campaigns you're in. I mean, it does work more with it being universal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but. I could still see it, it being either or, just a bit more difficult, far more difficult to make it a uh, individual thing. A, a, a unattuned sword is harder to make than a tuned sword. Could be one of those things where, yeah, if you're going to give it, if someone's going to get it, it's easy to make. You make it for everybody. You got to make it for everybody. So, are you for or against it, John? Uh, I actually would be, my druthers would be the thing you don't want me to say, which is, which is a little bit of A and a little bit of B. John, just say what you want. Uh, well, I'm going to say I'm pretty much for universal, but there are some items that, you know, are very powerful because they, you know, they're not only are they made for a person, they're made from that person. Like the one ring. The yes. one ring, yeah, yeah. Okay, my point of view, uh, my particular point of view is that I like them to be specialized to a person um, because a it, it does justify having the item be able to level with the player, but I'm willing to allow other people to use it if a sufficiently difficult system of attunement was to be introduced to allow it to be. Uh, it to accept another owner. Yes. But but none of these just pick up the sword and start using it kind of thing off the off the fallen foe. That's what I was getting at. The the whatever attunement ritual should be a should be significantly more difficult than just making something anyone could use. Okay. Okay. All right. So let, let's move on to B which is how long do you think it should take to create an, a magic item? Well, it sounds like when Travs and Josie game, it's an, it's a, it's a side quest. So it's taking multiple sessions to actually do it. Am I correct? Um, okay. For the Pathfinder OGL rules, it is an eight hour shift, which they would say one day is eight hours of work for every 1000 gold pieces that the item is worth. Now, you can rush it where it's one, uh, what is it, uh, four hours per 1,000 gold, but it makes the spellcraft check a little bit harder, plus five to the difficulty class. 
So there are usually, if you're going to have a how long to create an item, there are usually, and in Palladium with the Techno Wizard rules, it's the same thing. It is a set formula based on the cost of the weapon, the power level comes into play as far as what level spells you're using to to manufacture this weapon. Uh, let's see, in Pathfinder they also do things like um, the creator must have some prerequisite, like the folding boat. You have to have like two levels in craft uh, boat making, or with a cloak or boots of elven kind, the creator must be an elf. All of that ties into how long it will take to make a particular magic item. So yeah, usually creation time, it involves a formula of some type. Uh, I would say the more powerful the item, obviously, the longer it's going to take. Because scrolls and potions that I think cost less than 250 gold pieces, you can crank those out in two hours. So low-level, low-power items, not all that long. If you want to make the hellacious sword of splitting the dimensional veil, it's going to be taking you months to make. Josie, you remember when Oz's character Ziggy made the Amulet of the Plains? It took him two months game time to make but it allowed the party to bounce between dimensions. Look how long it took uh, my character to make the, the thing she's been doing. Oh, Prohaska's Bane? Yeah. Yeah. Months. Yeah. But that's like an, it's, it's what is that? Like an epic level blade made specifically to kill Rakshasa. Yeah. Damn near epic level. Yeah. It will so, be when I can make it that way. <laughs> Well, well, the thing is, what I'm saying is, creation time should be linked into the the mm. powers and abilities of the item. I, you want a powerful yeah. item? Be prepared to spend a lot of downtime in the magic shop. Yep, I agree with that. Okay. Okay, so you're saying that even a, even a very highly powerful magic item should take only like a few months to make. No, that's that's how that's how the current formulas are. What do you so? What do you think it should be then? How long? How long should you know? Um, let's say um, let's, let's let's pick something uh, really powerful, like a, um, a a paladin's you know paladin's holy sword. How long does that take to make? Oh wow! Um, because I can look it up in the core rulebook to see how no, long... No, no, but, but how long do you think it should take? Never mind what's in some system. Never mind what exists now. How long... Well, things like a holy sword, I would say, is not magical. It's it's divine. Okay, you're, you're begging the question, John. <laughs> I gave that as an example of a very, very powerful item. Okay. Okay. Uh, how about the... Uh, in, uh, how about the invulnerable fortress of so and so, where you basically you create this item, it, it, it jumps up and creates a small keep for you, okay, to stay in, and it's got food in it and all these other things like that. I mean, it's basically it's a it's a keep you can put in your pocket, okay. What do you think that? How long do you think it should take to make one of those things? That should be pretty. 
pretty long. Course. Yeah, because I remember, cause isn't it made out of iron? It doesn't matter what it's made out of, John. Doesn't it could be made out of iron. It could be made out of steel. It could be made out of adamantite for all I care. Yeah, well, what I'm saying is that it's one of those things where I think, A, you have to actually build the thing to, to actually flat pack it into, into your pocket. Um, so you actually would have to manufacture it. So the manufacturing the item, uh, this keep, you actually would have to go and physically b- build it. And it'll be as, you know, yes, magic will help with, with some of the details if you're not a good carpenter or, 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 uh, ironmonger or whatever you're making it out of. Uh, but still, it's gonna, you're gonna have to actually physically build it. And then you do your rituals on it to make it fold up into a little, little tiny weightless package you stick in your pocket. So for as far as you're okay, so as far as you're concerned, is that the amount of time it takes to enchant, let's say an iron horse, okay, that can that can animate and, and carry you around, and this and this big, you know, keep that the, the the enchanting time should be the same because you're just basically doing the same equivalent spell on each. It just takes longer to build the keep because it's bigger, or it takes more money and more men because it's bigger. That's what you're saying? Yeah, pretty well. The, the, depending on, yeah, yes. But if there's other things like if the horse actually move, runs around, and moves, then there's other enchantments on top of that, besides making it small enough to fit in your pocket, or or, or putting it into the uh, hammer into hammer space, where where you call it from, whatever, whatever however you do it, it is it those that the enchantment that, that puts them into hammer space, so to speak. It's the same for both of them. It's what you else you can do with them that makes them special. So you'd have to animate that iron horse, and you have to animate it such a level that it's good for several hours, not you know ten minutes, and he's now a statue. You know, you know things like that. You'd have to be has to be self powering or have charges or something that he'll keep him operational, and hopefully you can you have some way of recharging your iron horse. Yeah, John, that's not what we're talking about. No, but yeah, it's all things that. There's any easy way to try yeah. and say how long things should should be. Well, you could you could say that an item that has a larger game effect should take more time to create. That's a very That's meta concept, but you could say. do it if you wanted to. And I can make a case for the Iron Horse that it works better the more lifelike the horse is, which means you now have to hire an artist. And the artist may take literal months to make the, the base statue that he's going to cast in out of iron for you. You know, it's, that is an involved process. And you may have to, okay, while you're doing this, I have to do these certain rituals while you're doing these certain things to make sure everything works right. So it's a long, it can be, so, you know, the, some things, you know, you think would be simple, just iron horse. Yeah, bang. No, no, it's got to be, it's got to be lifelike, which means I need a hot, I need to get a, a, a expert, I need a, a master artist, you know, a sculptor to make the thing. Okay, yeah, John, like the uh, the charging bull statue in Times Square. Now, you know, the one that they later put the, the fearless girl facing it. Um, I'm sure that that statue, that bull took the better part of a year for him to craft it out of whatever metal. So I get what John's saying here is that making something that looks that lifelike as opposed to, oh, it's my iron horse, but it's all magically powered steam tech where it's all cogs and gears and pistons 
yeah, that's not going to take as long because you're not looking for an aesthetic. You're looking for function over form. Though the magic may work better with something that's more lifelike. You know, that's, you know, the, the, the old principle of similarity. You know, I, I make an iron horse. I want to make an iron horse. I don't want to make a thing with four legs. I don't want to make a saw horse with a head stuck, stuck on the end. I want a horse with a saddle and, you know, the whole nine yards. And I feed him something and he keeps operating. Maybe I feed him coal. I don't know. <laughs> well, no, I get what John's saying. It's like the more attention to detail you're going to put with anything, you want to put attention What's the term? The devil's in the details. Yeah. Yeah. So that this iron, this invulnerable iron fort, iron keep or wooden keep or whatever you make it out of, it's got to be a functional keep. And, and I can tell you right now, those things don't take, those things can take months, especially how large it is. Uh, if you're using medieval building methods, it could literally take a year to build mm-hmm. the full thing. Yeah. Well, keeps take a lot longer than a year to build. But that's not my point. Yeah. So, for, you know, so you got, you know, looking at it more in D&D terms, okay? So you've got a plus one sword and you've got a plus five sword. Does a does the does it take the same amount of time to make the plus one versus the plus five? Or does it take uh, a, a geometrically more amount of time to make the plus five? Or does it take a simple multiplier you know, okay. for the plus five? Here we Geometric. Okay, just a second. Yeah, but no, obviously it's going to take longer to do the plus five sword because the plus five, magically, it cuts deeper, it does more damage, it's magically weighted to hit better. So yeah, you're putting more enchantments on it to for it to be a better sword. You're infusing it with more magical power. Therefore, the creation time, as per my previous example of the more powerful the magic item, the more time it should take. Yeah. Uh, plus one weapon would take by the Pathfinder, you know, one day per 1,000 gold. It would take two eight-hour shifts to make a plus one sword. Now that same sword plus five, 50 eight-hour shifts, because a plus five sword is 50,000 gold pieces. A plus one sword is 2,000 gold pieces. So yes, by D&D, as Bruce just said, it would take a lot more time to make a plus five sword than a plus one sword. Yeah, and I would agree with that because it's it's more involved. I mean, as we know, you have to use much more expensive ingredient, ingredients in, in the making of the sword and in, in, in enchanting it. So it takes... The reagents and everything, yeah, because yeah. you're constant. The way they do uh, artificing in, in OGL is that you're having to cast that spell over and over again every day as you are crafting the item. So you either have to have the spell slot open or the spell points every day that you work on this item to hit the wham- give it the whammy of that spell. If it's like a cloak of elven kind and you want to do an invisibility, you got to have that invisibility spell cast on it every day as you are forging it or sewing it or you have the you have the elvis the the elvish uh seamstress working with you in that because it is a cloak of elven kind well you're kind of like sewing and casting at the same time if it, because it's one person doing it 
you're there, you may be reciting, you may have like rubbed the material components into the material into the, the, the cloth and you're saying the verbal components as your, you know, needle and thread. You know, that's what I mean. But you have to do that every day when you are making a magic item. You have to cast the same spell on it daily. It's worse than that. You have to raise the sheep. You have to cart the wool. You have to weave it. It's the whole nine yards. Oh, I mean, what are you going to do? You go go go. You know, go buy some buy some bolts of cloth for the local cloth merchant and start doing it, or are you going to source the source the the wool yourself? I mean, if it's a magical item, you're going to you're going to make sure you get the perfect virgin wool for it. If you really want the work. It's it's the old thing we did from, with 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 um in 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 Bureau thirteen, you know where magic is there. Sure, I can use that bolt of uh, of 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 cotton cloth from the merchant. It's not guaranteed to work as well as that. Me raising the raising the sheep, making sure their world's perfect, picking that one sheep and shearing him and. Well, that yeah, that that's the difference between a bureau artificer and a kitchen witch, yeah. Oh, we have to do an animal sacrifice. No, I got a frozen chicken breast in the freezer. We're good. Yeah, but it's sort of the, it's sort of where you're making magic items. You have to get into the magic item mindset. I'm making a magic item. How long does it take? How long does it take to raise a raise a raise a you to a, to a full grown sheep? Well, it's a, it, it's just when you're forging a sword. When you yeah. make a magic sword, it has to be a masterwork sword. If you're making it from go, boom, okay, I am making a plus one sword. You automatically have to make it masterwork, which means you have to use the best materials, the best techniques. Now, if you are augmenting a weapon, then the rules state it must be a masterwork weapon in order for you to be able to put that plus one on it. So you basically have to either know a weaponsmith who can supply you with the base with the base weapons to, to start work on, or you become a weaponsmith. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing. Usually, well, I mean, they don't in, in Pathfinder they don't make you have to be a weaponsmith. They just say that's part of the process. You're making it, and it takes two months to do it. Yeah, I mean that's now there is a spell in Pathfinder. It is, I believe, in. Uh, Josie might want to help me on this. Masterwork Transformation. Yes. Do you remember what book that is in? Is it in Ultimate Magic or Advanced Player's Guide? Just off the top of your head, I mean. I want to say Advanced Player's Guide, but give me about a few seconds here. But it's in one of those books, and it's really... Oh, no, we found this spell. Our games are using the heck out of this spell. Because basically it is... Oh look, I have a I have a normal sword. Oh yeah, it is totally run of the mill. You do the hoodoo voodoo on it, boom! It is permanently a masterwork weapon, and then from there you magically augment the crap out of it. We found that spell, and if you remember how Ren and Stimpy squealed for joy in the cartoon, that was us in the gaming group because we're we're flipping the wait, wait a minute, what's this? reading the spell. Yes! Look at this, you fat, bloated fool! We can make weapons! You bloated sack of protoplasm! Yeah. <laughs> we have been, in, in my campaigns, we have been using the holy heck out of that spell. If we find it, it's like, 
it's amazing. Every campaign, there's at least one wizard who has that spell. It's crazy. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I'm going to totally disagree with you guys. Okay. All right. And that, and I think that the, uh, you know, barring the requiring some kind of special materials, which we're going to get into late, uh, is, is like the next thing we're talking about. Okay. I think that it should be based upon the ability of the artificer. Okay. The first level, you know, a low level artificer simply cannot make a high level sword, you know, without being really, really lucky. Okay. And that an, a high level artificer is going to try to make the very best sword they can. And they, it may be like a bad day, something happened. Oh, didn't work out. That's only a plus three sword, but this one over here, Everything worked out nicely. I was fresh. I had my concentration. You know, my you know my marriage was going well. I got that. I got that one up to plus five. I mean, you could say at that point it doesn't matter how long. You know, it's always going to be the same casting time because that is if it's based upon the artificer's ability, then it doesn't matter how many times. You know, how it's all the same spell, and you get what you get based upon how good an artificer you are and any other random factors you want to throw in. Okay. The other thing would be say, okay, yeah, I had to do do have to keep casting the spell, but a high level artificer is going to be able to make those success rolls, those successive success rolls where a low level one isn't. So again, he sometimes ends up with a you know uh, he'll end up with more mid range magic weapons and very few low range magic weapons because he's just too good to make low range magic weapons and a few high ones while the low level artificer is going to make lots and lots of low level magic items, but almost none high-level magic items, and if they're lucky, a middle-range magic item. And, I and, can see how that works. Yeah. Yes. So do I. I I'm, I'm smell what he's cooking over here, yeah. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game. Hate the players. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait, you see what's coming next. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction. No derivatives. And sucker. You best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts. Cause we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.